Shouting Around has ventured to Melbourne to bring you some of our biggest guests to date, and we'd like to give a big mention to our official sponsor, South Ave Seltzer. It's the number one drink you'll find Haz and I have in our hands on a night out, and they're also our first ever guest on the podcast. It's a way fucking better seltzer than anything else on the market, and it's on its way to be the biggest thing in South Australia, and will soon make waves on the national market. With six killer flavours, including their brand new and our favourite, Sour Strawberry, they truly are the best. You can go stock yourself up through their website at southavseltzer.com.au and can also see all the venues you can find them at. Hello guys, it's been another fortnight and welcome back. And uh, if you were traveling I right now, we are on our final episode of the Melbourne series. It is seven down and one to go. Um, it's the Sunday. Uh, we head back to Adelaide tomorrow. Slow Sunday. Slow Sunday. But I'm still pl- feeling pretty good and we've got an absolute brilliant guest on today. Trav. Time to perk up. We got the amazing, the wonderful Jared Clifford. How are you? I'm good, boys. Thanks for having me on. No, all thanks right. so Pleasure much. Is all ours. Awesome. Uh, welcome to our apartment <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> to record it's another really episode. Um, yeah, tell us about yourself and for someone who's never heard of you, what do you do? Yeah, beauty. So uh, my name is Jared Clifford. I'm a 23-year-old Paralympian, uh, a visually impaired long-distance runner. So I went to the Rio Paralympics when I was 17 um, and Tokyo most recently. Uh, won three medals, two silvers and a bronze. Uh, and, yeah, do events from, yeah, 1,500 metres up to the marathon. So that's pretty much, yeah, what I do. A lot of running, too much, some would say. Awesome. Yeah, someone with a lot of accomplishments and uh, still at such a young age, I don't think. They're going to be ending anytime soon. Uh, but where'd you grow up? Where'd I grow up? Yeah. Um, so in Melbourne, um, northeastern suburbs, kind of uh, Eltham way, for those that know. Um, so, yeah, pretty hilly area. Cadell Evans is from there, so a bit of an endurance background um out there so um but yeah been in melbourne my entire life except a year in canberra during covid when i was that ais it was yeah it was pretty much next it was good um i got to escape most of the pretty insane lockdowns in melbourne um yeah moved there off like three days notice yeah and that was just because we had the games you know within the next 12 months and didn't know what was going on like athletes that did very similar was AOS packed at that time did they try and get most of them out of Melbourne yeah a lot did try um but then I think a lot got stuck as well to be honest um and VIS was still open but because I use a guide runner in training um and there was all those rules with not being able to you know be with someone um it was just made a lot more sense for us to to get out and and go to Canberra where my coach is also from yeah talk us through you said you have got a guide runner Talk us through that and, I guess, selecting your guide runner and the relationship you must have with him. I'm assuming it's him because I yep. saw it on the Instagram. Yep. Is, it, is it Tim? Yeah, it's yeah, Tim. Tim. Yep. Tim. So, yeah, for those that don't know, I've got juvenile macular degeneration, which is a um, pretty severe visual impairment impacting my central vision. So, if I look at someone... Uh, I can't see their facial features, for instance. So, so he's like looking at me right now, but lucky enough, yeah, can't see any head. Eyes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the the Sunday morning face. But nah. So when I'm running as well, so I guess my my 1500 meter PB is uh, 229 per kilometer pace. So it's it's fast. And if you're yeah. running that quickly with limited vision, um, things will come up on you way too fast for you to yeah. react to. So it's be um, like. I guess drink driving in the sense of why yeah. they say, obviously they say you can't do it because you're impaired and you're going at yeah. such high speeds. Exactly, and like obviously my reflexes are significantly impaired. So I, um, in certain contexts, so specifically for road races, um, I'll have a guide runner, and that person basically acts as my eyes. So yeah. they will um, describe what's going on around me, um, navigate me around corners, count me into them constantly communicating so they're what they say is basically what someone's normalized would be telling their brain um and then i still make the tactical decision but um so in tokyo in the marathon i use two guides and they switch to halfway just so they are fresh enough to be able to communicate and and talk so it's like a different type of pressure because they've also got to run 
like pretty damn fast. Say they also like incredible <laughs> runners. Yeah, so like Tim is, um, I think he's come eighth in a Australian five k champ. So like he's he's yeah top ten I think when he uh, when he's at his best. Yeah, give us a quick rundown of some of the stuff that say. Yeah, so basically, uh, you're coming up to a corner, yeah. and the guide runner will be like, "There's a 90 degree left hand corner in 50 meters, 40, 30, and then they'll count it like 10, 3, 2, 1, and then as soon as they say turn, I'll turn. They'll also tell me what position I'm coming. They'll tell me which athletes are up uh, up the road, how far so the distance is. So you know is. how much harder you want to run because you know you want to beat that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So like that, that's true. But honestly, if if the uh, Moroccan or the Kenyans up the road. It's more of a threat than if yeah. someone else is up the road that you know is yeah. probably not a threat and you don't need to react. So, um, yeah, I remember in Tokyo, Tim came in at halfway and we just chatted for the next 10K. Like, <laughs> he was telling me about um, some thing that the officials were not happy with his shoes or something because I hadn't seen him since 4 a.m. and it was about 8 a.m. because yeah. he'd gone off the course to, to get to, to his spot. Yeah. And so we chatted about that for a couple of K and <laughs> it, it, it's, it's good to have company in a marathon yeah. like beyond the actual guiding so we can talk a bit of shit too i'm just to amazed that going at such high speeds you've got the energy to talk, <laughs> talk yeah. i go for like a 3k run and i'm running it real slow and i'm like <sighs> I can't talk for like the first k out. and then you both slowly get a bit yeah. <laughs> it's a bit quiet massively yeah so what, what distance you said such a big time between seeing him what how what distance was that so yeah, so he so I had my first guide runner until exactly halfway, so twenty one point one k's. Yeah, okay, so it's full marathon. Yeah, yeah, and then he came in after that, and then um, the funny thing with that story is uh, at about thirty k, so I hadn't really trained for the marathon; I'd been focusing on the track. Yeah, and um, I remember at thirty k, suddenly realizing that uh, I probably been running a bit too quick or taking yeah. on too much nutrition, and just threw up right at his feet as we were oh. running. And the funniest thing was he, he goes to me straight after I've just thrown my guts up all over this road. He's like, are you all right? I'm like, oh, not really. <laughs> and then the next 12K was just that on repeat. Yeah. And the, the, the Japanese crowd, they weren't allowed to, um, well, they weren't supposed to kind of verbally applaud. Like they were just clapping. Yeah. yeah. And um, but I still remember when the first spew happened out on the course, the whole crowd on the sideline just went, <laughs> and I was cooked But I could still appreciate that moment <laughs> And especially with your shorter distances In this case 1500 Which still isn't that short um, Do you kind of Has it been a thing over time You kind of You and Tim Or your other guy on as well You get really like Used to running with each other And you get A bit better at the communication Is it kind of thing That's taken time Yeah definitely So There's obviously quicker runners Than Tim out there But uh, there's no way they could probably do the job that he could do. There's probably only him and another guy. And and that's because you have to know how to communicate to me personally when I'm cooked and there's pressure. Um, the techniques have to be the same, which can actually happen when, when you run so much together. Um, so when we're in training, we don't use the tether, but if, if something's coming up, he'll just like nudge me and I'll know exactly what he's meaning by that. Like It's yeah. like non-verbal communication. We've been running... I run. We run like five, six thousand kilometers a year, yeah. and we've been doing it since for ten years. So, like, there's not many people that would know, um, or at least spend that I amount I of time. Together, yeah, it's I insane, guess. and it's running like it's boring. Like yeah. you, you talk a lot of shit on a run. <laughs> and with the juvenile, uh, is it macular degeneration? Yeah, yeah. Um, was that? Have you had that? I did read a bit about it, but it was, do you kind of remember the time when that kind of was it uh, over time that a condition worsened? Yeah, so juvenile macular degeneration, it's a genetic condition. So um, I guess the gene was passed on to me. So I've had it since birth. I was diagnosed at three. Um, And then during primary school, I noticed it deteriorating. So it's basically like scar tissue and blistering on the back of my eye. And um, yeah, that visibly got worse during primary school. I noticed it. Um, So things like I'd be playing sports that I'd been playing before and just wouldn't see the ball coming at all smack me in the face something like that um wouldn't be able to see the whiteboard at school um and stuff like that and and you know what it's an interesting time like right now i'm super proud to be a person with a disability i think it's made me who i am but you know when you're 12 13 you're super self-conscious you don't want to stand out you don't want to be different it's Mm -hmm. like the the fact that you need help or, or asking for help or being vulnerable is like something it's I felt like ashamed to feel yeah. at that time and 
it took me a long time to kind of overcome that. But um, yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from my career is that it is okay to ask for help. It is okay to be vulnerable. And it's um, actually a sign of strength. Um, and, and it's a brave thing to do. Um, so yeah, juvenile macular degeneration has definitely thrown up some of the hardest things that I've had to face, but it's yeah. also definitely the reason why I'm the person I am today. Probably the reason why uh, I can run a marathon, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. And how did you find school? Um, like you said, of course, it's going to affect like not seeing the whiteboard and stuff. Was there mm. some ways or just some, you had to do stuff a little bit differently to get around that? Yeah. So uh, no one had laptops like when we were in primary school except me. So I was like yeah. the big yeah. dog because yeah. <laughs> I couldn't read like handwriting. So um, yeah, I did that. And I got, when, you know, earlier days, I got my pen license in like prep because I could see it better than a grey lead. So there's a few perks, actually. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, you know, I had an integration aide who at the, f you know, I remember the first time meeting her, I was absolutely horrified that someone was in yeah. the classroom helping me because, you know, I'm sure we've all been in that situation where you see someone with an aid and yeah. it's very noticeable. It's not something that, like, yeah, it's kind of a grown adult. Yeah, it's literally an extra yeah. person. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and, like, I remember just hating that, like, I was so embarrassed, but by the end of high school, when I'd kind of lost that insecurity, um, ended up being like best mates with them. So yeah. it, it's a journey of like realizing, you know, that there's no need to be self-conscious about things. But um, and the only way you can learn that is over time. Yeah, exactly. Like no one, no one's born. Like no one should should be born probably just like that confident in themselves. Yeah. Like it's. I think it takes like experiences like that, but. Yeah, like I was, I always had supportive friends, always had supportive um, networks at school. Uh, I think one of the questions I, I sometimes get asked because it gets associated with disability quite a bit is, you know, were you ever bullied? And I wasn't. So I was actually about to ask. That yeah, I, yeah, I, 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 I thought, like, I thought. So like, yeah. yeah, I was always, it was always fine, and I think that's because, like, I always tried to be upfront with it. Like, yeah. you know, this is what it is. Um, probably from like year nine onwards, um, I remember getting up at school in front of the whole year level and just kind of saying what it was, yeah. um, you know, just telling people, you know, if you wave at me in the schoolyard and I, and I don't wave back, it's not because I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's because well, I, I might can't not see like you as well. <laughs> yeah. It's a good excuse. Exactly, exactly. Just, you know, now I can get away with anything once you say yeah. that. Yeah. But, and it's know. crazy because, like, just sitting here talking to you, like, if you didn't tell me, I would have not had a clue. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing I was going to say, that unfortunately you see a lot of people that aren't, well, I'm just, a lot of people that are disabled. Yeah with visible dis disabilities, the ones that have a lot of tougher time yeah, with exactly. people. Yeah. And you see that they seem like they get bullied more often and obviously yours isn't visible to anyone that doesn't know you or know specifically about you. So yeah, exactly. I guess that probably made it a lot more comforting for you going into, I guess, awkward environments. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. Like the disability community is so diverse. Um, there's so many different disabilities and there's so many invisible disabilities um, and they all come with different complexities and different challenges and stuff like that. But um, it's, it's funny because one of the things uh, that I, I was told and my mum was told when I was a kid was that um, the, the, the best job prospect that someone might have with a visual impairment is, is like a telemarketer, someone just ringing people up all day. Yeah. Um, the unemployment rate in the visually impaired community is, is like 70%. And mum was so determined to make sure that reality wasn't going to be my reality that I had, like, I, I guess I learned to employ certain tactics. So, like, for me, it's easier to see someone when I look sideways at them. Yeah. But I know that, unfortunately, that's a very disconcerting thing for someone that isn't used to operating with people with visual impairments yeah. so i try my best to like not have to do that even if it means i can't see the person i'm talking yeah. to and it's it's interesting because I, I used to be pretty proud of that like ability that i think i managed to develop but it's also sad that society actually kind of rewards hiding things yeah. like that rewards hiding disability because um, like any type of diversity we should be super pumped to be honest that there's actually people with these really unique perspectives out in the world. Like, the world is a better place when, when diversity exists. So, um, yeah, like, someone shouldn't feel the need to, you know, hide their um, their cane, for instance. Yeah. 
because they're going to be treated differently. Like I've got an identity cane. So basically when I'm in a crowded place, I'm a little bit struggling to navigate it around because as you said, people look at me, they wouldn't know I can't see them. If you whack it out, it's so funny how people will treat you differently as soon as you pull out an identifiable object that that associates you with disability, Um, even though nothing actually changed other than me whacking out a stick. Well, it was like there was a boy who was many years younger than us at school, and I think he's still at the school, um, who is blind, and you'd see him walk around, and he's got a cane and a cane, yeah. like a support aid, and how wide a berth everyone mm-hmm. will walk away mm-hmm. from him, that because you just don't want to, not me personally, but you yeah. find that people just don't want to hinder him or like... Yeah. People are trying to be respectful, but yeah, like, but it's but also it makes, it makes it very clear. It like, yeah, it's disrespectful with trying to be respectful. That's it. Yeah, I I get that. So like, it's um, there's no intention to, like, there's no bad intentions there. It, it's it's because I think because disability one in ten Australians have a disability of some kind, but we don't often see it uh, until Dylan Alcott burst onto the media yeah. scene. A lot of people would never have even interacted with disability in any way. There's some people that interact with it all the time in their family, um, et cetera. But I think because it's not seen everywhere, it's not interacted with on a daily basis, people are awkward around disability because they don't actually, like there's no actual way to act, but people don't know that. So they they think um, like often the best way to avoid doing the wrong thing is to just not engage, which as you said, people kind of, wide berth and stuff like that but um yeah it's it's something that i guess society will shift you know the paralympic games is something that i think is doing that um different people in the media um and people will i think slowly understand that you know it's just like there's still just a person right like we're just people um it doesn't really matter but yeah it's interesting how people engage with disability i think you can tell by the way people do it how much they've actually interacted with disability yeah. their lives previously and how much were of a support were your parents growing up yeah massive so i think one of the things that with if you're a parent and you have a kid with a disability one of the things that happens a lot is that instinct to wrap the kid up in cotton wool there's nothing wrong with that instinct like it makes total sense yeah. that's all parents instinct and that's it's right. all parents exactly and especially exactly. maybe in the earlier years too it's needed yeah but yeah and i think the thing is um the, you know, you can't wrap someone up in cotton wool forever. And as we've kind of said, disability in society, it's um, going to mean that you start f- from further back. Like there's going to be a lot more hard work to do. And so mum and dad, you know, I, I wanted to play footy. Yeah. So they let me play footy, even though I was going to obviously struggle. Like if you didn't get the ball out of the ruck, yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, didn't know where it was. <laughs> yeah. So basically like they just, whatever I wanted to do, they said, yep. Um, they never, they never either, they never, um, so like I said once I wanted to be a truck driver, mum was straight up like, well, you can't be, yeah. <laughs> you just can't be. And that's like, honestly, it's good because you'd rather that than her say, yeah, I'm sure we can find a way. Yeah. And then you get this false sense of reality and mm. that you start believing things that like, I know I'm never going to run for Australia. <laughs> so if I said to mum and dad, oh, I want to go to the Olympic games for a hundred meter sprint, they're going to go, <laughs> Yeah. It's not too doing? late, mate. It's not too late. Well, it's very too late. <laughs> <laughs> no, hard work, hard work. Yeah, exactly. But so, like, I guess there's that sense of being realistic. And I guess growing up with that has probably helped you find your path that you're on now today and helped you sort of shape the way you're going to be able to go with your life and be a lot more content with yourself, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think, you know, I always wanted to be an athlete, but because I think I'd been instilled with some kind of realism, yeah. like, I obviously knew it wasn't going to be in footy. Yeah. And, and because of that, I was able to identify, well, I probably should change sports <laughs> if yeah. I want this dream to happen. Like, um, you know, when, when, you, when you've never marked a footy and never hit a target... Yeah. It's um. Oh, tell me about you're, it. I you're not gonna. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I go for Carlton, so maybe maybe I could have got a game back yeah. in the day, but uh, <laughs> they wouldn't wooden spoons back then. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Bit of realism is is not a bad thing. Awesome. Well, shouting around fashion for one final time, Jared. We're shouting you around today um, <laughs> with our official sponsors. Trav, oh, hold up. I mean, need to put mic down. Get a free hand. South of Seltzer. South of Seltzer. Oh, Trav, pass that along for me. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. 
And for you. Oh, Just what I feel like, Scotty and Reno. <laughs> Cheers, just boys. Just a way to wake the body back up again with the water alcohol. Exactly. Yes. Petrol and alcohol, that's all we've been through this trip for the car and <laughs> for the bodies. And you guys can guess which is for which. <laughs> what do you think? It's good. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Jeez. So it's, it's dangerous. healthy yeah. as well. <laughs> Zero sugar, 90 calories, gluten-free. There's electrolytes, so it's perfect for just <laughs> after an event. And there's 1.3 standards. So you said you're coming to Adelaide. Saturday. Saturday. Should be perfect well, time to yeah. load up on a few South Ads. Perfect. After the Adelaide Invitational. Yeah. Exactly. And he is actually a bit of a party animal too. So <laughs> they'll be yeah. in Victoria soon for you. Let's go. I guess you said that you always knew you wanted to be an athlete. But when did you sort of find running and why running? Yeah, so as I said before, I guess, you know, I had this dream to be an athlete. I think 2005, 2006, there was the there was a 5 new Ashes win where it was like Shane Warne's last Ashes, McGrath, everyone's last Ashes series. It was the 2006 Commonwealth Games in Melbourne and the Socceroos made the World Cup for the first time in decades. Yep. And I just remember that was like my first introduction to sport. wanted to be this athlete. But every sport... Every, like, Australian typical sport has yeah. a, a ball involved in it, you know, yeah. cricket, footy, everything, tennis. basketball, tennis, yeah, everything. And I tried a bunch of them. Um, it was all right, but obviously with my vision, um, yeah. with its kind of deterioration in my primary school years, yeah, reality struck. So yeah. um, I actually went to a talent search at, um, uh, like, run by Paralympics Australia, um, did a bunch of the tests, um, was no good at shot put. Yep. They said, nah, it's pretty shattered. Um, and then did a beep test yep. and nailed the beep test. So up and back on the basketball court, 20 metres. And um, they were like, oh, we think you can be a runner. So honestly, they told me what sport. Yeah. Like obviously, you know you're decent at it from school athletics and stuff like that. But How old were you? I don't know. but I would have been 12. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you like, you kind of know like, you yeah. might be good at it. But at, at that, when you do school athletics and you're and you're um, you're twelve. The it's hard to compare yourself to actually everyone in the country. There's a couple of man man childs at that age too, where it's you struggle against if you're um, a bit behind on the development. So, um, yeah. But anyway, they told me what sport to do basically, and um, I decided to. And I reckon within two months, I was at the AIS on a road to Rio camp. Yeah. Uh, so I would have been thirteen, and uh, they were oh, teaching shit, us how to be athletes. Yeah. That far out. So they 2013 because obviously Rio was 2017. Yeah, they already identified you for a road to Rio, and you were at the IS training four years out. Yeah, yeah, and I reckon even before Rio, so 2014 or 2015, I was yep. um, in the athletic straight offices when I was told like I'd been. I still remember the word was earmarked yep. for um, like gold medal in Tokyo. Shit. But that was before Rio, so my whole high school teenage life was about winning this gold medal in, in Tokyo. Yep. But basically, as soon as I entered the sport. It was about making the Paralympic Games. I was at the yeah. AIS, 13 years old. They were teaching me, um, like, the process of getting drug tested. Yeah. Uh, like, it was insane. Like, and as a kid that loves sports, I, I was stoked about it. Yeah. Looking back, it's probably, it was a bit too much. The burden yeah. was intense for so long. Like, that's like I guess it's like, years. you look at Tiger Woods, who his dad forced him into golf at two. Mm. Yes, he's arguably the greatest ever golfer of all time. But because he was brought into it so soon and just told he's going to have to be so good. Mm. Yes, he's come out being so good, but it's made him fall out of love with the game throughout stages. Yeah. Do you fear that you're going to fall out of love with running? I have before. Yeah. yeah. So, like, um, as I said, went into Tokyo. Uh, I was either the world champion or the world record holder in, yeah. in all of the three events that I did. I came away with no golds. Yeah. Um, you know, the, 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 the goal was actually to win three golds. I didn't yep. even win one. Uh, I, I lost two by under a second, maybe half a second even. Uh, one of them was in 40-degree heat, um, and, and honestly it felt like uh, th- in a lot of ways the weather was what beat me. Um, uh, and you, you have to perform on the day that you're given, so like that's, that's the beauty of, of Paralympic sport. But um, kind of came home and... Uh, this thing that had been in front of me for my entire life, I my entire teenage life, was gone. It was thirteen that you'd already been earmarked for. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't happen. You know, I, I remember waking up that morning and I was like, "This is the day I've visualized for a decade." My like, my all my high school friends and 
have seen me just like obsessed about this dream and today's the day um and then i kind of remember crossing the line realizing that it kind of slipped through my fingers and going yeah. shit like it didn't happen the way i dreamt about it yeah. um and yeah so kind of came home and running was associated with this like devastation yeah. <laughs> like it's very dramatic but it's you know just because it had consumed me for so long um and it took like a really long time in 2022 for me to to get around i think it was probably uh end of august when i finally um turned a page like i wrote this article got published in the guardian mm. and i remember i read that this morning actually. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the day got published i realized oh okay i'm, I'm starting like it was good to just get it out there yeah um, so yeah awesome um and did you in school, did you miss a lot of time because of this AI stuff, or was school still? Like, you still get a lot of time there, and like running like school running competitions and just <laughs> your normal regular stuff. So funny! I, I literally had been to the the Paralympics and run in front of like a big crowd in Rio. Yeah. And then I came back and started twenty seventeen. I had like the school athletics carnival. Yeah. I Sports swear. Day. I swear. Sports. I swear. I get more nervous for that stuff. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone's like, here we go. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually have to this. put on a show. Like yeah. everyone's like, oh, we come on then, show us. We had guys like that. Guy called. Oh, he'll listen. To Aiden Ross. We love him. Yeah. Works at Nike. Gun runner, and we'd always go. Yeah, here we go. Aiden's on. <laughs> He's gonna absolutely blitz this. I felt kind of bad. For it's the pressure, man. It's the pressure. Yeah. Did you win? Yeah, always. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that would have been but Yeah, I did. I did year twelve, split over two years. Yeah, um, cool. Because yeah. I was traveling. I, I think, I think I had like three birthdays in a row in Europe. So like, I was always overseas. Yeah, was, okay. I'm sure that was such a pain. I was such a pain. Yeah, my 18th was in Cologne, I think. So it was, um, yeah, it was pretty devil. So have you <laughs> had to meanwhile travel, like, because of course there's the Olympics and things, but a lot of like world championships and that type of stuff. Yeah, so I've been a couple world champs. Um, then we race in America on like the, like a kind of like a circuit, I guess. Yep. Um, so this year, got a training camp uh, where we normally go, Flagstaff, Arizona. The footy yep. players used to go there. Um, we race in Portland, we race in London, and World Champs is in Paris. When when are you racing London and Paris? It'll be uh, end of June, early July. Actually, a heap of over there. there. Yeah, there. I was going to say. for the cricket. My going to the first two tests. Oh, this could June line 16 up. to July 6. My sister lives in Paris. We're in Paris for a week. You're in Paris after July 6? No. Before. Oh, before. Yeah. I was going to say, I think my races are July 10 and 13 oh. in Paris. <laughs> I'll make my sister go. So cool. Yeah, they do. I'm going to try. Yeah, anyone that knows any Australians traveling yeah. through Europe, I'm sure there's probably people listening because it's pretty standard time to be there. Yeah. yeah. Get get to Paris, The um, maybe the Stade de France. I might have to beg Dad to extend that. Yeah, go. it's just one more week. Exactly. It's only, yeah. Was there, like, events, like, kind of continuing, like, the same world championship type of stuff you had to do every year? Yeah, so world champs is normally every two years, uh, and then the games every four. I don't have an event at Commonwealth Games, so I've never done that. Yeah. But um, in the year off, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll just go and race um, to run fast times, basically. In like, yeah. So obviously in a championship race, we don't have paces, so it's more tactical, so you don't always run your quickest times. Um, but then in a year where you don't have a championship, you can basically get in races where it's just all about time. It's like you've got a couple of paces at the front that will pull out halfway through and they just drag you around. Just have fun with it and go as hard as you can. Basically, basically. And that's the years where you probably will run like your world records or your, your, your fastest times. So, um, yeah, there's always something kind of to focus on. So fair to say there's a little less pressure there too? Yeah, a little less pressure. Um, like honestly, so like 2022 is, was that year off. Um, we didn't have a world champs or anything. And if I was in the headspace, I would have been chasing fast times. But it's also, you can basically choose. Because there was no pressure, I realised it was going to be better for my mental health, better for my longevity in the sport to actually just take time off. So yeah. I fractured my leg. I could have been back within six to eight weeks. And I decided I was going to take three, a bit over three months off, regardless of what my leg was like. Yeah. And it was the best thing. How do you feel coming back, first run back? Pretty unfit, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like you lose it so fast. Um, I'm sure everyone's kind of felt that. They haven't done a run for a while, and it's the same for like any yeah any athlete really. So, um, but it can't, maybe for us it comes back a little quicker once you start. Yeah. Because um, we just got yeah, heaps of miles in the legs, but yeah, I think a lot of people you see those YouTube videos of athletes, and it's like you got to breathe success. You've got to live it. You've got to yeah. wake up at 3 a.m. every day and, and never sleep and just on, on, on. 
and well, it's for all of us last night and go to bed at three. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, Jared that, included. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that that did happen actually. Uh, but it's not it's not a sustainable lifestyle. Like I know maybe there's a zero point zero one percent of athletes that can do it, and maybe they are the greatest of all time. But it's also selling like a false image. There's yeah. not a chance that those athletes don't have a down day. I yeah, don't I, have a rest. I day. saw something on TikTok and it was like. Do you want to know the percentile of people that function sanely off under six hours sleep? Like mm. the numbers into a percentage and it was literally zero percent. Yeah. It's, it's you know, it, people love those motivational stuff on, on the TikToks, on the yeah. reels, on the YouTube. But it's, um it actually, it, it's bad to for people to compare themselves to this thing that's basically impossible to attain because it makes people actually feel guilty that they're not doing that. Like... The best athletes have days off. The best athletes don't want to get out of bed and train. Like you need it, and sometimes almost just as important. Yeah, yeah, and I think everyone like, needs a mental health day. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no way. Like, you, Usain Bolt is actually one of those athletes that would be the first to admit it. Like, he hated training. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. There's different ways to approach it. Um, yeah. I guess another thing that isn't represented that well. Obviously, all the Olympians do that full time. Is it the same for Paralympians? Is it a full-time job? Are you a full-time runner? I'm a full-time runner, and yeah. like every Paralympic athlete would be a full-time athlete in terms yeah. of the hours they put in, even if they don't get paid for it. Yeah. Um, because that's just the standard. It's basically, if you're not getting paid for it, it's like a professional hobby. Yeah. Um, like and podcasting, and Harry. You've got to put in the work before you yeah. earn, the bucks, <laughs> earn the bucks. But yeah, so like I'm lucky now. I've got like um, quite a few sponsors. My plug-in. You can thank him. Go for yeah. it. Nike, Coles, Guide <laughs> Dogs, uh, Wheat Bix. Um, so, yeah, there's a few. If any of those want to work with us, we're pretty open. Yeah. <laughs> the, boy, the boys are good. Best offer on the table. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I'm lucky. I'm one of the, I think, um, Nike in Australia has sponsored Dylan Alcott and then myself. Yeah. But hopefully that keeps expanding. So I'm definitely one of the few, but... Uh, in the Paralympic world, to be able to like actually earn a living out of it. But one of the things I think a lot of Paralympic athletes can tap into is the keynote speaking circuit. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, we have some pretty good stories to tell. But also, like, the Paralympics is more relatable, I think, to everyday people because everyone's going through some kind of adversity, right? Yeah. And like, the Paralympics is literally the embodiment of overcoming adversity. And so I think people look and look at that. And even if they, they you know, they're not quite like that. It's that symbolism of, of overcoming something that relates to people. Definitely. Yeah, awesome. And then did you ever have aspirations for to do other stuff? Was like, did you ever get to a point where, you, like, where we just had thoughts that maybe, like, you'd want to do running and you want to do it, but you kind of want to do something else as well? Yeah, definitely. I don't know. It's like anyone, you know, like, you want new challenges, yeah. stuff to do. Um, yeah, I feel like even throughout life, you can want to do something at one point, but it's always going to change. Yeah, and we're in like, you know, the year of your 20s is you're supposed to try new things, right? So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly what. Like, even the speaking circuit, it's different. Like, it's performing, which running is performing, but it's yeah. it's totally different pressure. Do you do much speaking? Yeah, I try to. Um, a lot of schools mainly. Um, yeah. A few corporate ones, still trying to kind of crack in if anyone's listening, but... <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't exactly call this corporate. <laughs> nah, this, so this is, is good. The first thing from corporate. <laughs> but you guys would know, man. Like speaking, like it seems like it could be easy, but sometimes yeah. it's not. Like we've we've said it numerous times throughout this trip. You get people on that are some of the best public speakers, but then to have that sort of casual chat and to chat about them in a lot more of a laid back environment, mm. and not being like a speech they wrote or something, you can see that they struggle. Yeah, it's like a complete. I'm the worst public speaker, but I find like some people the other way around really comfortable in this sort of environment. Yeah, having a chat, and it's good because like other than well, yesterday we had a few of the boys here. Like <laughs> you don't you don't have any audience, um, and as much as people are going to listen, they're not listening there in the moment. So it's yeah, not exactly. Like, yeah, like when you're public speaking in front of people and you feel like all the eyes are on you, mm, that type of thing. Mm. It's just kind of chill and it's not really heavily scripted, so makes it a bit easier. I think that way you get the best stories. Hundred percent. Yeah. Are you doing anything outside of running? Studying at uni, or is it all your time into? I guess being the best athlete. <laughs> <you can> be? <laughs> no, I do study. So, 
Um, but yeah, real slowly. Last year I did do eight subjects, so yeah, that was the only what time I've done full time. So I'm doing an arts degree at Uni Melb. Yeah, um, politics is like the major, but I want to do post grad law. So that's like where yeah. it's heading. Slowly, I'll try yeah. and like line up graduating when I'm like mid thirties and I retire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> from the sport, but like it's good to have a balance. And then like a lot of athletes will probably go down the sports science type route, yeah, um, which totally makes sense. But for me, I find studying something that absolutely nothing to do with that because it's a release in a sense and they're a release from each other yeah and you know what like i did pe in high school and um knowing what's going on with your body when you're like pushing it to its limit i don't want to know like i don't want to know the science (laughs) yeah like it's cooked and i don't i don't want to like be trying to empty the tank and be like oh you know my glycogen and my lactic acid i just just assessing every little thing yeah i don't want to overthink it just like just go hard yeah, and when so I was just having a read, but you're a T twelve. Yeah, is that what well, I'm not sure what to call it. Um, can you explain more about that and kind of how maybe how all that works for different yep. Paralympians and how they can be kind of classified into different events? Yeah, so the Paralympics, um, athletes compete against people with similar disabilities. Yep. So there's a bunch of categories, uh, and then for sight impairments, there's three. It's T eleven, twelve, and thirteen. T11 is for people that are totally blind. And then T12 and 13 are just um, varying degrees of A visual posh, impairment, yeah. blindness. And um, in distance running, because we don't run in lanes, 12 and 13 gets combined. So, um, like, I'm a T12, but I'll like most of my events internationally will be called I did T13. read that too, because it said you're a T12 athlete, but then there was some T13s. Yeah. yeah, so it can be confusing. But basically, it's for distance running, it's split between uh, totally blind and visual impaired. And obviously, I fall into the latter category. Yeah, awesome. And then how did it feel breaking the Australian 1500 metre record? Yeah, so um, it's funny, like, records um, records are pretty insane because to think that you're the quickest, like, ever for a certain category, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. it's, it's wild. Um, but, like, I think I learned in Tokyo that, you know, as much as they're special, like, I would probably give up every record, every world title, just to have, like, the Paralympic gold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, like, realising that was pretty huge, because, um, like, you kind of realise, like, all those achievements are awesome. Yeah. I think in the year of Tokyo, I broke five world records across yeah. different events. But it doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it's not the end of back at the year, yeah. you go, no, nah, I missed out. Yeah, exactly, and a record a record can get broken again. Whereas if you win the gold medal, it stays there; it's yeah. it's forever. So, it's like an interesting one. Like at the time, I loved it, but looking back, it's like, you know, what could have been? Like maybe I peaked early in the year. Yeah, because yeah. there's been a few too. There's been a couple Australian records and world records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my fifteen hundred meter one is three minutes forty one. Yeah, and the marathon's two hours nineteen at the moment. At I the reckon moment, I, I love that. I, it's gonna. I was a, I was a week away in the Gold Coast. I think I could have run at least two fifteen, which is, which is fast. We <laughs> we ran thirty k a couple yeah, of weeks. So ago. we did a charity yeah. run, which I don't know if you saw. Which you would have seen. Max I saw. Max I saw. Yeah, I saw it on yeah. Instagram. Yeah, it was fucking so much fun, and we were slow. <laughs> in the scheme of things, we weren't. We ran from. Adelaide to Goolwa, which is like the equivalent I've told people from like Melbourne to Geelong. Yeah. And um in team, so it wasn't like in we team yeah, three. Yeah. And what are we? We started at like six AM and we'll finish by like two. Yeah. So we thought we were flying, which we somehow did. But it was really hilly. And but that's actually oh. the time on legs, so like uh, yeah. I always say this like if I run a marathon and I do it in two hours. Yeah. Like it's more K's. It's actually less time on legs. Like yeah. so so actually running for that long is actually Harder, yeah. and we had to go on and off, and like yeah, the body doesn't r- do well with nah. stopping and nah. then starting again. You got how do you guys pull up the next day? Shocking. Yeah, we went, we went out that night. Oh. Took four drinks. I reckon to get blind. I think I clocked my steps. And I did forty five thousand steps or something. I'll like show yeah. you. I've got my all my stats on my Garmin. Yeah, I'll that's show insane. You yeah. Did you walk down any stairs the next day? I tried to. You got them in your you house. Go like Very like slow. Got to go backwards down, and that's yeah. the tip. Yeah, me backwards. and Max were really bad. I yeah. remember Max was like. Sorry, Max. He was he would definitely be listening to this. He was like moving <laughs> the whole day. Next day, just because he was like so sore. I was the same. I was just like, couldn't take it. That's so good. And then I guess getting back to you because we don't. No one cares about our run anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, sure. yeah. 
What's the training schedule like? So how often are you training? You said you obviously you just came from training this morning. Yeah. So in a standard week, so probably like you're in your base phase, like I guess pre-season. Yep. You can run road races during this phase. It's probably like 140, max 150 kilometres in a week. How do you break that up? Yeah, so I'll, I can go through each day. So like Monday um, is two runs, a 10K run and a 6K run and a gym session. Is that morning and Arvo? Yeah, morning. So you go 10K in the morning, straight into gym, rest, 6K Arvo. Are you like cooked after that? That's like, that's an easy day. I that's, knew, that's that's say, I knew he was going to say that too, I could tell. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, I mean, it's not because the gym, honestly, I'm no good at gym. So that drains What, what do you do in the gym? So There's a lot of like movement sort of stuff. Yeah, like I've started like this new program the last six months and we'll do like pretty standard, like cleans, hip thrusts, yeah. squats. Yeah. Um, sort of about but then a lot of players yeah so like i'm not lifting like crap like the, the you know you're in the gym with you're you know, not trying to go bench press 200 kilos no nah, no nah. i actually bench pressed 40 times 10 the other day and i was like dying <laughs> i was um like uh, that's well, one of my lucky you got world ones. records <laughs> yeah no i was pretty stoked but i was like i needed someone to spot me on that so yeah. <laughs> like, gym, gym is not my strong point but yeah. um that's the monday then the tuesday we do uh an 8k run in the morning and then like a session in the Arvo. So the session would be, so we, our warm-ups 5Ks and then we do a session, might be 16, 400s with 45 seconds rest, uh, running him in 63, 64 seconds. Yeah. And then 5K cooldown. Yeah. So it might be like 17, 18K all up. Yeah. Then on Wednesday, it's like 16 to 20Ks. Thursday is similar to Tuesday, so 8K in the morning. Session in the afternoon, so 5k warm up, 5k cool down. Session might be six to eight by 1k with 60 seconds recovery, running them in probably 255. Is it slow run on recovery or is it walk? It's just walk, walk. Yeah. yeah. Like we take it 60 seconds, like yeah. real Milk chill. Milk every second. Milk every second, yeah. Um, Friday's like a rest day at the moment, but in the past it was 10k with the gym session. Now rest day is still with gym, actually. But, um, and then Saturday is basically a repeat of the Thursday session, yep. no double. And then on the Sunday is our long run. So our long run is probably on average 25, but in winter we'd get up to 30 to 35. What'd you do this morning? Uh, today's 20 because I got the race next week in Adelaide. Yeah. So 20 Ks is our like taper long run. Like it's, <laughs> which is uh. <laughs> after a night out, just a casual 20 K. Yeah. And so it's like. It's one o'clock now. It's Trevor, it's right, after our night out, after this recording, you're going to go out and run 20K, mate. Okay, thank you. <laughs> go on. I, only if you go first. and once We'll break it up, 5K intervals. <laughs> do a relay. Yeah. And do these a relay. runs, are they like, are you just pushing it? The easy run, like the jogs, like when I say like a 10K run, one of the things I reckon that's the biggest misconception about running, and, and no offence to footy players, but it comes from that mentality of always go hard. Yeah. But if I run 140Ks in a week, I reckon 120 is a talking pace. Yeah. So whatever you That's can That's the key with long at. distance too. Yeah. yeah. And people like man, people come back and they're like, oh, I ran, it was just so hard. Um, like I can't keep doing that. It's like you're doing it wrong probably because yeah. you're not going to enjoy it if you go hard all the time and your body actually won't get like some of the benefits. So we will go hard for like 2% of the week, like real hard. Um, where we can't talk and the rest is just monotony but yeah it's fun like you can chat and i think people would enjoy running more if they actually just yeah. chat and are you, yeah. you sore every day no no, no i don't get sore now is your body at a point where you can go run however many k's like yeah in your normal training session and you're fine and feel pretty fresh the next day as long as you get a good sleep yeah, pretty much. Always legs are fresh. What i would pull up sore from is gym though yeah as, yeah, yeah, you tell, as experience um, yeah, so you've got like the massage boots. Um, yeah, Normatex. Yeah, which yeah. is sick. Yeah. We've got the guy we've had on, Jared Dutton, Coach Dutton. He's got like a performance center in Adelaide. Oh, nice. He's got like five sets of them. Like He's very athletic focused. They're, yeah. so, they're so and good. Oh, they're so good. They're elite. They're like a bit bit pricey, but. Yeah, worth they, every cent. They're worth it though. Um, but yeah, that's like one of the main things. Like, I. Um, I got told after Tokyo that maybe I'd been having too many like massages before. Like that's obviously yeah. what you're told to do, but distance running, um, you actually want to be that uh, your legs to be stiff so that um, you act more like a spring. Yeah. If you're too loose, you can actually be floppy. And um, so I don't actually get massages. I have 
wouldn't have had one since Tokyo, I don't reckon. Like a proper massage. And that's like over a year. So just because – and gym can help you stiffen your legs up. But, yeah, I'm trying to not eat loose, which is yeah. honestly counterintuitive. But, yeah. And have I read you've done altitude training before? Yeah, so um, AIS has a house that you can sleep in and yeah. live in. Um, but then we've also been to overseas Flagstaff, Arizona, and then in Australia there's Falls Creek and Parisha, yeah. like Mount Clausewitz. Oh, yeah, ran up there. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's um it's sick. And then in Parisha you can run all the way to the, the top of Mount Cosy, um, which is like two thousand two hundred meters. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, and it's epic. Like it snowed there like heaps uh, in November, the last camp we're on. So there's some pretty gnarly weather. And how do you think that? In what ways does that help you best? Yeah, so obviously, uh, I don't know the science that well, other than the fact that I, I'm pretty sure it helps you get more red blood cells, which helps endurance because it, it helps your aerobic capacity. But you're also training under increased stresses. So yeah. basically, your body gets more efficient at dealing with just running. You feel more comfortable just when you then you run back in normal environment, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And then you're also in a training camp environment as well. There's not many distractions. Everyone's there for the same reason. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you've gone there for that reason. Yeah, and you can't go out, so yeah, um, yeah, it's good. So um, there's a lot of benefits, um, science, but also just the the environment that you're in is better. Yeah. And uh, is there a lot of other Paralympic runners that you've kind of built a good bond with, and who are pretty much essentially are training partners in everyday life? Yeah, so my whole squad is like almost the entire Paralympic distance running team. Yeah. So. Um, actually there's, there's, it's getting pretty Adelaide heavy. There's, um, one called Michael Roger. So he's an arm amputee. He's in his thirties now. I've been to like four games. Um, he's like a beast. So, um, won a couple of medals, but, um, he ran on a broken leg at, in Tokyo in the marathon and finished. It's the most insane thing ever. <laughs> it's crazy. Like he, he couldn't run. I, I saw him training in the lead up to the games. Um, he, he wasn't allowed to tr- like run. So he was on the bike. And to yeah. make it harder for him, he only would breathe through his nose. Like, that's how insane he is. How like do you breathe? Because well, we yeah, had a bloke telling us about it. Mouth, you're doing mouth, that. Yeah, because yeah. you get more oxygen in. Yeah. but So, like, he was breathing through his nose to get less oxygen in. And Appar- the guy, apparently, that's a good way. Do you have a train just through the breathing through the nose, though? Because apparently it can... I think, like, I mean, it'd be the same as, like, yeah, I guess, altitude. Like, honestly, the impact probably isn't... You'd have to do it like so much, so long, yeah, like so the whole time. You'd have to obsess over it. You'd have I to guess. be crazy, which this guy is, and like so. Yeah, shout out to Rogues, and then the other guy, young up and comer, um, definitely big medal chance in the yeah. um, cerebral palsy, fifteen hundred meters. Angus Hinksman, so he's an Adelaide boy, but um, yeah, it's good. Like the camaraderie, uh, everyone has different disabilities, um, so there's not many like people in our squad competing against each other. Yeah. Like there's a few, but um, like. I think we, our schedule for Paris 2024 just came out. Yeah. And um, on my first day, uh, I'll be running the 5K. And then right after that, Madison Di Rosario, who won the marathon in the wheelchair category, yeah. she's on the next race. And then Rogues is doing his 1500 the next race. So yeah. Australia, like, absolute best case scenario could go gold, 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 oh. which would be insane. Not all, yeah, so hopefully the other two pull their finger yeah. out and get Yeah, well, I need to as well. <laughs> Speaking about gold... How was your first ever one? How was that feeling? Yeah, it was massive. So, like, I think 2019, I won my first world title. And um, I won by 0.1 of a second. Um, big Russian guy was chasing me down the home straight. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I don't know if you've seen, like, Kathy Freeman when she crosses the finish line. And yeah. it's like, you can just see the relief. Yeah. And obviously what she went through is just absurdly more intense. Um, but I kind of understood the principle of that feeling in yep. the in the sense of like it's so much a relief that you got it done like it's it's something you knew you were capable of so it's just like it's just a relief to have finished it but um you know you, you train so hard for a couple of months before you have the competition and when you've done the thing that you've set out to do the celebrations after are heaps better <laughs> as well so um, yeah, it's a pretty special feeling awesome and are your parents big well, of course, big support, but do they get to come out and watch you run a lot? Of course, they can't come everywhere internationally yeah, with yeah. you. But yeah, so they make... Um, so they were there in Rio. Uh, yeah. Obviously, they couldn't be there in Tokyo. Um, but yeah, so they'll, they'll come to Paris for the World Champs. They'll yeah. come to the Games. Um, and it's super special. Like, obviously, in Tokyo, there was no one. Um, and so, like, 
it's in in a lot of ways, if I do win in Paris, it's gonna be like a better moment than it would have been in Tokyo, to be honest. Because yeah. I reckon I'll have everyone will be heaps there. of people there. Um, so yeah, if anyone's there about September eight nine twenty twenty four, yeah, um, hit me up. We'll go to a Parisian bar afterwards, and it'll yeah. be real good fun. So, but that's like that's the dream. Like, you know, you win for the medal and stuff like that, obviously. But like a journey this long, yeah. So many people involved in it. Um, so many people have seen you kind of grow up with this dream. Yeah. Like if that happens one day, um, like it would just be so special to to have those people around you. So like, the support's massive. Um, and yeah, like Tokyo would have been a bit flat to be honest if it happened there. But it yeah. wouldn't have been everything you'd built it up to be, I guess. Like obviously, mm, yeah. It's easy to sit here and say, yeah, like, I'm pretty happy I didn't win the gold. But if you won it, you'd obviously <laughs> I'd be stoked. stoked yeah, but yeah. I guess if Paris happens, it's going to be bittersweet. Yeah, it's going to be heaps better. Like, I, I think, like, you know, when you visualise the moment that your yeah. dream comes true, like, I wasn't visualising an empty stadium. Yeah, exactly. Or, or no one there. Yeah, you're just green and gold everywhere. Yeah, well. and, like, you know, everyone wearing masks and not being able to hug you yeah. and all this stuff and... um. Like as yeah, hundred percent would have taken a gold medal. And you think the training's gonna be a bit different since there's only a two year gap between the two Olympics? Yeah, like I'm I'm stoked about it because I think I should be another being quicker on. chance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, quicker chance. And like I'm um I'm someone that like yeah, I, I need like long campaigns like drain me pretty bad. So like it's I need I need it's four break. years. That's a yeah, really long time so to, long. to and focus it became on a goal. five. Like we went yeah. from yeah. we went from like less than two hundred days to go to like over five hundred days yeah. to go when it got And when um, you were maybe switched. even like kinda getting to the back end or like the peaking time of your training and then you yeah. kind of had to then reset and extend yeah. it out essentially. Yeah and with periodization our coaching staff literally will plan our fitness four years out to peak like, they can do that. I don't know yeah. how, but it seems yeah. to happen. And, yeah, throwing that in, a spanner in the works. But now I've come back after my break from the sport and it's an 18-month uh, build-up, which is nothing really. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be... Does that better. feel... Is that more inviting for you, do you reckon? Do you reckon that's going to put you in a better stead that you know, I guess mentally as well, you don't have to wait such a long period to have another crack at it and it's not going to sort of eat you away as much as yeah. potentially a four-year period might have? Yeah, 100% because obviously, you know, it's four years already and then COVID happens. Um, being from Melbourne, I had to leave. Um, so didn't see my family for ages. Um, was living from kind of like house to house. Not much stability. Yeah. And that drains you. And then, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're... we're kind of chasing open borders like in the months leading up like getting out of New South Wales when that was going yeah. up uh, and then Cairns there was a case there so that instability man that I got to Tokyo and I was kind of standing on the start line and I was super pumped but yeah. I think in the back of my mind I was excited because it was uh, almost over yeah. like it, I could almost relax I was you like looking come, forward to that come back to Melbourne and yeah come back carried. and just chill like and, and be like have some stability and just I don't know, just been too long. Whereas now with the short turnaround, I reckon I'll be standing on the start line in Paris, and there'll be no other place in the world that I want to be. Yeah. And that's where you have to be. Like you have to be, because if you if you want to be somewhere else, even in the back of your mind, you're not at a hundred percent psychologically. And that like to push your body to its absolute limit, you need to be. Yeah. And how the Olympic Village has been and like <laughs> kind of cool experience is pretty similar to being like at the AIS a bit growing up. Yeah, yeah, but even like just way crazier there's yeah. obviously like ten thousand athletes different countries one of the best things about the paralympics is that there's not just diversity of nationalities there's diversity of disabilities yeah. i think our like shortest person would have been 65 centimeters and our tallest would have been like 220 Shit. so like it's insane because um obviously having those two heights can lead to disabilities right so like then we've got um just the diversity of stories as well in the paralympic village is insane like the people, obviously, that are born with their disability, then there's people that acquire their disability yeah. in war zones, um, in different parts of the world through surviving cancer. Yeah. Just some really, like, impressive people. Yeah. But then also, um, like, yeah, just meeting people from all around the world is, is insane. And then I guess you were saying about how different people acquire their disabilities. And that There's a bloke from Adelaide who's a good mate of mine, said still he yeah. lost... He's an above knee amputee now and 
I know he'll be at the Paralympics at some stage running yeah. 400 because he nice. has to blitz it <laughs> and it's all he talks about. So Sweet. keep an eye on Seb Still. You might be making the trip with him hopefully oh, in awesome. eight years or something like that. That would be awesome. Yeah, and I know with like, um, yeah, like above knee amputees or amputees in general, like uh, once once you kind of get used to running with like those prosthetic legs, yeah, yeah you can um you can start to fly. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. You, do you sometimes feel lucky? I guess when you're with all these other um, people with their different disabilities, do you feel lucky that it's not? an amputee or it's not something like that do you sometimes feel grateful that i know you're not just mm. partially blind but do yeah. you feel fortunate that it's not a visible one and stuff like that yeah i get i guess like i mean the best way to answer that question would be like because i've grown up with other disabilities in my family yeah. as well so um in terms of severity i guess like i've never really looked at myself as like having like this absolutely burdensome disability, right? But also, you know, I'm friends with a lot of these people that yeah. have the amputations that are in wheelchairs and they also wouldn't look at it like that. Yeah. So um, I guess uh, a lot of these people, you know, Dylan would say it, a lot of my friends would say it, is that um, if someone could hand them this magic pill that got rid of that disability, yeah. they wouldn't take it. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, a lot of a lot of them actually, even though it seems counterintuitive to yeah. the everyday person, they actually see themselves as fortunate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I know a lot of like the opportunities I've had, a lot of the opportunities my friends have had in life have actually come because we have a disability. Yeah. And it's um, it's one of those weird minority groups, I guess, where it's like sometimes frowned upon to be proud of having a disability because, um people think that you should want to get rid of it, like that you should want to be, like people look at it as something to cure. Mm. Um, and like, obviously uh, you'd never knock someone for wanting to, to get rid of it. Like I definitely have days, even myself where I'm like, you know, fuck this. Like I want to, ch- I want to change this about myself. Yeah. But when I guess outsiders look in at the Paralympic games or look in at disability and think, you know, all we should be doing right now is working on a cure as if there is something fundamentally wrong is actually can be problematic when really the best way to fix um, the challenges that face people with disability is actually to fix the society that they live in. And that's what we should be focusing on as well. I feel like from an outside looking in, obviously, because like Australia has come a long way. Um, You're saying about 13 years ago when you were in school, you'd been earmarked i'm sure that there were still people that were like didn't respect the paralympics as much as they do now and i feel like even worldwide it's such a it's as big as the olympics yeah and i know definitely that it hasn't always been viewed that way Mm. is it pretty cool to see how far the society has come and how much more respected the paralympic games are yeah it's insane it's insane like uh there's a visually impaired shop putter that um retired recently and he went to his first Paralympic Games in 1988 they weren't even held in the same city I don't even think they were held in the same country and then in 1996 they were packing up the village as the Paralympians got there yeah uh you know they were you know they were staying in the apartments as they were stripping them down yeah uh you know the games were barely existing and then in Sydney 2000 it got a little bit bigger around Sydney Olympic Park um, they'd be walking around and, and people would be like, hey, come in, have a beer. Like yeah. they got recognised. And then in 2008 in Beijing, they sold out stadiums to every night. Yeah. In London, um, a couple of billion people watched the Paralympics. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it just built and built and built. And then in Australia, it went from, in 2008, 30 minutes highlights package each night of all sports combined on SBS. Yeah. And then it was seven hours of no live coverage yeah. on the ABC in 2012. And then 2016 onwards, it's Channel 7, 14 hours of live coverage. Then in Tokyo, they had the app with every yeah. sport, just like the Olympics. It's insane. It's huge. And it makes sense. Like, it's this massive sporting competition that brands should be jumping on. Oh, yeah. It's, it's so, like, every Paralympian 
going into Paris 2024 should have a sponsor and every brand should be looking yeah. at sponsoring someone. Shouldn't be someone. at least buying their shoes. Yeah, and, and honestly, people think, you know, I remember like speaking with Nike very early days yeah, and other other sponsors and I, I had to pitch it to them because I think some people think that Paralympians get sponsored because a brand actually thinks, you know, we should do it. Yeah. Like it's like a tokenistic thing. To it. It's like a pity thing, yeah. But man, like Paralympics is marketable. Like you... You, you can market that so well. There's so many stories. It's the adversity thing I said before. Yeah. It's relatable to people. Um, it's almost more marketable than normal. Just because, like... Yeah. Could be right and wrong to say. But, like, mm. you say Paralympians almost doing just as well and they train just as hard, but then they also have a bit of adversity and they've kind of got a better story to tell, essentially. Yeah, well, that's, you know, obviously... Um, I've got a lot of friends that are Olympians and... Um, yeah. There's, there's a bit of banter that goes around, but yeah. I always will say, you know, Call I, them think boring. I think you <laughs> guys are boring. You guys are the warm up show. <laughs> yeah. uh, so like, um, yeah. I don't pre-game. know. Pre-game. Yeah, the pre-game. And then we come, we come in, but no, like obviously they're both amazing, but um, I think, you know, Paralympic athletes are just probably the stories are more relatable. So like an yeah. Olympian is obviously just like peak human. Yeah. Um, and a Paralympian is like, peak human but also embodies like so many challenges that other yeah. people face so i think brands should be jumping on like everyone and if you are going to jump on one jared's one to jump on <laughs> if you're listening brands. self-plug self-plug one thing that i wanted to ask you've spoke about him a fair bit dylan Alcott. yeah have you got a relationship with him do you know him oh like yeah i wouldn't say like we're mates but yeah. um yeah we definitely know each other um in my opinion he's the poster boy yeah he's, he's definitely the guy is, yeah. that like we were just talking about how far the Paralympics has come. Mm. I spe- I guess especially Australia-wise, he's the one who did it. I'd argue that from someone who obviously growing up didn't know much about the Paralympics to now mm. sitting down with a Paralympian, um, Dylan seems like he's the guy who just he just plugs it. He just loves it, and he just su- seems like such a good guy. Yeah, it's it's you know he'd definitely be the first person to say it as well that he he like has climbed onto the shoulders of people that just did all the, like the really hard work in the days yeah. in the background, in the days of, of like not much coverage and stuff like that. And, um, you know, he says that in his book and it's funny, like, um, like I, I probably was able to get my sponsorship because he broke through before me and then he probably got his because of the people that broke through yeah. before him. But he obviously has that personality that's broken through into the mainstream, um, which is like, Super, super important for, for people with disabilities to have that voice as well as other types of voices. Yeah. And um, it's funny, I think uh, he ro- rolled up to me in the village and um, I'd had a Nike ad going around yeah. just before the Paralympic Games and um, he uh, he said to me, oh, I was waiting for my Nike ad to, to get asked to do one and you've, you've stolen my thunder. <laughs> so it, when he's saying that to you, uh, yeah. it's pretty good. But, um, you know, I think he had much bigger ANZ ad or something going around. So he's, <laughs> yeah. he's a bit of a big dog uh, that's definitely, um, like one of his things that he, he says is like, just because there's one big dog Paralympian yeah. um, doesn't mean the Paralympics has been truly accepted because, you know, yeah. it's like y- it, you want to stop people from just, you know, I'll tick the box, deal and Alcott, and then it's done. Yeah. Um, and I think we're seeing that, like it's, you know, that whole like trickle down thing. It's like other people are now getting opportunities. Um and yeah, so they should. Yeah. And what's some of the main stuff you do with your sponsorship deals? Um, Maybe advertisements and things. Yeah, so like Nike, I do. Um, like I race in the singlet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, did what Nike shoes do you wear? In a race, yeah. I wear like the Dragonfly spikes. But in yeah. the in like the road racing, which is probably more relevant to people, I use the Alpha Flies. Yeah. Um, Vapor Flies are also good. The next percent shoe, and then in everyday jogging. Um, like the Nike Invincibles are yeah. insane. Like that was. I had to go huge. a little bit cheaper. I got a pair of Pegasuses. They are also they're good. They're comfortable. They're, they're also good. Room. I actually reckon they're really comfortable. Mm-hmm. I got a pair of them spiked up to play cricket in. Oh really? Just because of how comfortable they are. Yeah, that makes sense actually. Like, uh, yeah, I think they're up to like the thirty nines now. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's a bunch of different shoes, but um, yeah, they are they are a little bit expensive. I think now it's good. Like with a lot of shoes, um, they're so chunky that you can probably run a lot more kilometers in them yeah what was the testing process like did you go into nike and do a heap of testing in different shoes and on treadmills and that or did they just send you a heap and you worked it out yourself yeah i've never done like testing like that but 
yeah, they mainly just send you a bunch of different stuff and you try them all out yeah. and um, and then you kind of stick to which ones you know work for you. But uh, yeah, like I did a I did an ad leading into Tokyo. Um, they got us in some mansion and did some real yeah. um, interesting photo shoot. Kind of kind of look good, but uh, you know, I think I was like in alpha flies with some trench coat in a mansion with a cup of tea. It's pretty oh, wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on. It's on Instagram, I'm sure. But it was um, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, we also like then they chucked that up on um, a big wall in near Melbourne Central. So Did you find it? Data world. New, new heroes. I new think. heroes. Yeah, yeah. Six one? minute raid. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> real um, Bog. Oh, Harry. Real interesting look, but uh, nice. Yeah, so <laughs> that was probably the biggest thing I've done for him. And then they uh, chucked it up on the um, on a like a, like a mural. That's so cool. So the photo you guys on the cup of tea with like the yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had the tether. So that's yeah, yeah, Tim and I, and um, it's oh yeah, 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 no. It was like Funny a whole ads. day. It was, it was pretty insane was watching the process. Yeah, even the ad the day before. Yeah. I reckon there would have been 40 people there just to, like, do but it. So they the had makeup artists, they had drone drivers, like a couple, yeah. and, like, a safety officer. There was a guy yeah. driving, like, a buggy. Yeah. Uh, and then there was all, like, the directors and the, f- like, there was such a, it was crazy. It was wild. Uh, it, it makes you realise, like, what would go into, like, a movie. Yeah. Like, Does it make it a bit surreal that for you, you go, I'm just a guy running and I <laughs> want to do all this just to have a photos of me. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, the only way, like, I reckon I get around it being super weird is the fact that, you know, like, there's so many, you know, there's, like, big dog celebrities, like, yeah. big dog, and they must do that, like, all the time, right? Mm. And it's like, well, they're also humans. They're like, why, they're like, it's like, why not me? Like, why yeah. wouldn't you feel okay doing Like, I feel like the first time you guys would have sat in front of a camera might have felt pretty weird, but it's yeah. like, Really, like, why? Like, yeah. why is it weird for you if other people are always doing it? So that's yeah. why I tried to, like, embody. But it's still it's still weird. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not so good at the pose. I'm like, pose. Yeah. I'm like, I don't yeah. know how. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a model. But, yeah. yeah. And then other than Paris coming up, is there much many other competitions coming up? What's kind of next? Mainly just domestic season, um, which is, yeah, so I'll be, you know, Adelaide, Sydney, Brisbane, stuff like that. Um, and they're... they're, they're important races but they're more just um practice runs for yeah. the big ones um yeah so then yes it just chops champs. up yeah and it yeah and you want some like small steps to yeah. aim for so then you're not just always obsessing about Good the big way goal to, I guess practice your pre-run routines and yeah stuff like that and tactics like um 1500 meters is three and a half to four minutes yeah. and at the Paralympic games you've got four minutes to execute yeah four or five years of your whole life's work basically and so you want to make sure you've got that down pat so that's what the domestic season's for yeah cool Trav you got anything else for us no just massive thank you um it's been an absolute honour to sit down yeah I'm in absolute awe I think <laughs> <what> we're <laughs> no. talking about today has been like incredible and shout out to Max my stepbrother yeah. without you here big dog we'll <laughs> give Tubbs a call in a re- minute I reckon yeah get him on FaceTime big dog. yeah we'll do it uh I might be at the baseball not sure but uh but yeah, thank you so much. And Thanks no for stopping worries. by. Um, it's been an absolute great way to finish our Melbourne series. And after recording, I think well, eight in yeah. four four days. Yeah, that's insane. That's endurance. I think it's yeah, time, exactly. to, time to take a few weeks when off the recording. When there's the uh, podcast Olympics, as in I'll be there, the podcast. Gold medal. Gold yeah. medal for sure. Hopefully. An event for podcasters. Yeah, we'd smash it. That's awesome. Jared, thank you so much, yeah. everyone. Go check out no Jared worries. Clifford um, on all your socials. Yeah. And I guess if you want to see him, he's just the one at the front. Yeah, cost the finish line That's first. That's 2024 it. Paralympics in Paris. Yeah, nah, thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, man. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah.